0: I'll turn to Haggai, the book of Haggai. You'll turn there with me. We've been in there for a couple weeks now. And I want to pick up in chapter number 2. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you today for your mighty, majestic, and powerful word. And Father, I pray that, Father, as we look at this passage this morning, that, Father, you would, in a very personal way, uh, would you help us in areas that we may be discouraged in. Father, may it be a word that becomes... A truth that your spirit plants deep within our hearts. Whereby, by faith, we appropriate and we begin to walk in. And Father, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for what you do in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So let me ask you a question real quick. Do you find yourself getting discouraged from time to time? Or maybe, maybe you're discouraged right now. This passage deals with the discouragement of Israel. Now remember what we've already looked at. Israel had forsaken building the temple for all those years. And God comes back and tells them, consider your ways. In obedience to God, they come to a place of yielding to God and they begin the work of rebuilding the temple. God told them to go in the mountains and cut the timber and begin to rebuild the temple. And they began to do just as God said for them to do. Now, about three and a half weeks are into the work. And in this three and a half weeks, the disinterest of Israel, as far as concerning the house of God, has been dealt with. Now, they have great interest in building the temple. But yet the discouragement is beginning to set in. Now, the reason they're discouraged is this. They began to look at what they're building in light of what Solomon built, and they said it's not even close. And in great discouragement, they literally began to wane in their work. They don't stop the work, but they began to wane in their work. Now, when you and I get discouraged, I promise you that most of the time when you and I get discouraged, there's going to be... Uh, This truth, you get discouraged because your expectations have not been met. In other words, there's things that you expect to take place, maybe your schedule that day that you had planned out so meticulously and it doesn't come through that way, or or maybe a family member that you expect to behave and doesn't behave, Or, or maybe it's something else, or maybe you're comparing something now in your life versus what it used to be in your life. And you're saying, hey, this is just not good, and I don't like it. And, hey, would you agree with me today that because of all that's going on, it's altered a lot of things in our life. And a lot of people are discouraged right now because they're comparing what they had to go wherever I want, whenever I want, not have to wear anything to go, and not have to stay... 18 feet away from somebody to go, and all these things, and and all of a sudden you look at that and you get discouraged. Well, this is exactly what Israel was going through in their life, but theirs was in a comparison of what they were building to what Solomon built. And so, what does God do? Well, God comes and he he gives them a message. Now, this is the second message God gives through Haggai, and he gives them a message concerning or to identify and to deal with this discouragement. Because listen, if discouragement's not dealt with, it will lead you to disobedience. And so God's got to deal with our discouragement. And so this is what God does with Israel. Now, I want you to look here first at the precise time of the message. Now, I don't know about you, but it catches me that God would be so precise to not only give the month in which he gave this message to Haggai, but also give the day in which he gave it to Haggai. Notice what it says in verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. Now, why would he go to that kind of detail to give us the day and the month? Because there's great significance in that day for Israel. Now you say, well, what is it? Well, notice the significance of the timing. The thing is, this, this day would be the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles in which Israel would celebrate uh, in their life continuously once a year. And the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles was very, very significant for Israel. Now, to be honest with you, the Feast of Tabernacles would last seven days, and then the eighth day would be the Sabbath, in which they would come and they would commune with God. And then, but in this Feast of the Tabernacles, there were specific things in which God had commanded them to celebrate and to contemplate as they celebrate this time together. They would literally move out of their homes, build booths or temporary housing for those seven days, and they'd live in those places, and they would celebrate what God has done and what God is going to do. And and this was a, a specific time in which God would give this message. Now, why? Because, listen, God don't do nothing by accident. Now, I want you to look at some things about the significance of this time. Number one is it had a significant reading that took place. If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse number 9. And it tells us about what would take place during the Feast of the Tabernacles. This passage would be read to them along with what this passage is referring to. Now watch what it says. And Moses wrote this law delivered to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years in the solemnity of the year of release in the feast of the tabernacles, when all Israel is come, appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. Thou shalt read this law before all of Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men, women, children, and the stranger that is within the gates. Isn't it amazing that even the Old Testament God wanted us to come together? Listen, I'm just going to throw this out. These people that believe in a hidden church need to read the Bible. Y'all say amen. amen. He says, and they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law and that their children which have not known that anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God so long as they live in the land whether you go over Jordan. What was the reading that took place during the Feast of the Tabernacles? The law. In other words, they would read the law. In reading the law, here's what they would do. They would understand what God had done for them, getting them out of Egypt. And getting them out of Egypt, God brought the law to them, and the law would be read to them. Why? That in light of who God is and what he's done, they would obey him. It was a moment of reminder to Israel that obedience is what God required of them. And listen, folks, if in discouragement, these people were getting discouraged because of what they were seeing with their physical eyes, and it was very easy for them to lay down the hammers and stop working again. But what does God come and do? God comes on that day in which the law would be read to them, and he reminds them, listen, I'll give you the law that you would obey me and fear me above everything else above your circumstances, above the way you think, above everything else in your life. And so this speaks of this significant reading. Now, I want you to look secondly at a significant reminder. You say, what do you mean? Well, the purpose of the Feast of the Tabernacles was what? Well, they would celebrate two things they would celebrate first God's deliverance of them out of Egypt. And so, in other words, here was Israel celebrating in this moment, in their discouragement, they're trying to celebrate that God has delivered us from Egypt. Now, listen, why would God do it on this day? Well, because, listen, if they were reminded about what God has done, then maybe they would be encouraged to know that God is still the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But not only that, but it was a celebration of the harvest. So they would celebrate not only what God had brought in as far as the harvest, but what God done to deliver them out of bondage. And this was to be a great time of celebration and praise and honor and glory unto the Lord. And it was on this significant day God would come to a discouraged people and give them this message of encouragement. Now listen to what I'm about to say. If you lose sight and lose focus on who God is and what God's done, I promise you everything in your life will discourage you. Because here's what we tend to do. We tend to live and operate off of a way of thinking in which we have to dot every I and cross every T. I got news for you. If Paul would have lived that way, he'd have been miserable. Because every time Paul turned around, he was either being stoned, thrown in prison, in a shipwreck. Something was happening to Paul. You and I need to understand today that life is to live by faith, not by fact of what you think you see. If you live on the basis of what you see with your physical eyes, you're absolutely going to be dismantled every day of your life. But if you live by faith, here's the reality. Faith and discouragement will not go together. And so these people had got their eyes off of the Lord. They'd forgotten what God had done for them. They'd forgotten what they were celebrating in this feast of the tabernacle. And they'd forgotten all that God had provided for them. And because of that, God had to remind them. Now I want you to look at a second thing. Not only the significance of the timing, but the symbolism in the timing. What was else was true about this day? Well, here it is. This was the actual day in which Solomon dedicated the first temple. So in other words, God comes to them not only on the day in which they should be celebrating what God's done for them and getting them out of bondage, and not only what God done for them and bringing the harvest in, and not only that, but celebrating that God gave them the law that they could obey God. And not only that, but on the day that God... Dedicated that first temple when Solomon prayed that prayer and by the end of that prayer, the Shekinah glory of God filled the place. And this is the purpose in it. That God in a significant and symbolic way would give him this message of encouragement on this specific day in Israel's history. Because when you forget what God's done, you'll lose your ability to be able to keep the faith in times of discouragement. Discouragement will wreck you if you let it. And so God comes along and he gives them this message in a precise time. I want you to see, secondly, the purpose target of the message. So if discouragement was the problem, what was the target of the message? To remedy the discouragement. Now, how did God do this? Well, he, he, first thing, we need to deal with the reason for the discouragement, which we've already dealt with in some form, but I want to get more specific. Notice what it says in verse 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, and Joshua, the son of Jehoesedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Now, here's the thing. As I said, they were discouraged because they didn't have a lot of means at this time. And and so they didn't have what Solomon had when he built the temple. Remember, Solomon was king, and he had all this at his disposal. And so it's, it's estimated that the gold in that temple of Solomon would have been worth in today's estimation close to one billion dollars. And yet here are they without any gold to their having as of right now. And they are building this temple with what they have to work with. And they're looking at what the remnant, a small remnant that was there to see Solomon's temple. Now they were old, but they were there. And they were looking at this temple in relation to Solomon's temple with the precious jewels and the gold and the bronze and the marble. And they were saying, Listen, God ain't going to like this. God's not going to have favor upon us, us building this temple like this. Oh, listen, this ain't good. I don't like it. I, God's not going to like it. Hey, we just need to reconsider what we're doing. We need to stop working because we don't have what it takes to please God. This is the reasoning. This is why they're so discouraged. Now, Listen to what I'm about to say. Liberty, y'all love me? Say amen. If you think liberty is going to be like it was before COVID, after COVID, you're probably misguided. It's so easy for us to look back and say, oh, look, Look what we had. Look what we have. Look what God did. Is He doing that now? And we look back and we look back and we try to examine what we're going through today with what took place in the past. And I want to tell you something. That's what Israel did, and that's what got them discouraged. Have you ever thought that just maybe God's allowed this to happen, that God can do a fresh work among us? Have you ever thought God allowed this to happen, that he can do something in us he couldn't do before? Have you ever thought that God allowed this to happen, that he could do something in you and I personally that he couldn't do before because he didn't have our attention before? Have you ever thought that God allowed this, that just maybe we could get all off our feet and get back on our knees. Have you ever thought that God just maybe wants to do a work in this church, in this community that he could not do before because now we come to the end of ourselves and say, God, whatever you need, here I am. Discouragement will take you out of the will of God quicker than anything. This was the reason for their discouragement. Now, notice the reality in the discouragement. Now, these questions in in verse 3, you you say, why would God ask these questions? If this is what's discouraging him, why would he ask these questions? To make them worse? Oh, no, they're meant to be rhetorical. They're meant to bring them to the place of realizing a few things. Now, listen to me. When he says in verse 3, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. Just as you think you see it, it's reality. In other words, God's not sugarcoating this. In other words, God's not saying, oh, listen, you just don't understand. I mean, you don't understand the beauty. This house is just as beautiful from an appearance as Solomon's house. Oh, no, that's not what God's saying. God's saying, listen, if you compare the, the physical structure of this house versus Solomon, hey, guess what? God's saying, you're right. There's no comparison. But here's the reality of it. What made the temple the temple? Was it the gold? Was it the bronze? Was it the precious jewels? Or was it the presence of a holy God? Amen. Amen. And so it's meant to be rhetorical. He's trying to get them to understand. Listen, it's just how you see it from your physical. But you're not seeing what I'm going to do. You're not seeing how I'll see it in the days and months and years and hundreds of years later. Tonight we'll be in verse 6 through 9, and we'll see that God's going to say, hey, the glory of this will be greater than the glory of the former. What I'm trying to tell you, folks, is this. When you and I get discouraged, we've narrowed our focus down to the moment in time and the circumstances that we're living in. And we've taken our focus off, number one, of who he is, number two, of what he's going to bring out of it. What does the Bible say? Tribulation work of what? Patience. Now let me ask you a question. If nothing else comes out of this COVID that you and I become more patient and rest in God, how many of you would say, Lord, thank you? But we're saying what? Lord, I don't like this. I want to go back to the way it used to be. i got news for you. Listen, folks, I I love you, but I want you to hear me. I think it's going to be a long, long time if ever we get back to the way it used to be. So you have to understand that this pandemic, I mean pandemic that is upon us, is by God's initiating or allowing work in our land. And so instead of looking at what's taking place, how about looking at what God's wanting to do in it? This is the reality of the situation. Well, notice, lastly, the realization in the discouragement. Now, look at verse 3. I want you to look at it real close because the wording here is very, very picturesque. He says at the bottom of verse 3, Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? In other words, as you look at it in your eyes compared to Solomon, do you see it as nothing? Now, what's the emphasis here? Your eyes. How you see it. Notice God didn't say how I see it. God said how you see it. In other words, the way you look at it through your physical eyes, can I tell you, you're exactly right. It don't compare. But see, I'm not looking at it that way. In other words, God's saying... Are you saying, because it don't look as good as Solomon's temple, you can't worship me and bring a sacrifice and a burnt offering unto me? Are you saying that that the priest cannot bring blood and place it upon the mercy seat? Are you saying that, that, that the, the altar of incense can't be ignited representing the prayers of the saints to the people? Are you saying you can't wash your hands and your feet in the laver and come into the holy place and, and, and light the candlestick and, and t- put the tobo- uh, showbread on the table? Are you saying that you can't bring a peace offering? Are you saying you can't bring a burnt offering? Are you saying you can't bring a trespass offering are you saying that i won't accept the blood because the place ain't looking as good as solomon's did he said i'm telling you right now you're looking at it through your own eyes i'm looking at it through the eyes of of reality the eyes of reality is listen i'm the one that makes the temple the temple it's not the gold it's not the marble it's not the precious stones it is me that makes the temple and you're not coming to worship gold you're coming to worship me Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of the things God gives us. But listen to what I'm about to say. It is his presence that makes a place holy. I told the early services in 1999 when me and my wife went to Israel. The Dome of the Rock, which is where the Temple Mount sat, and... uh, At that time, when we went up to the Dome of the Rock, you could go in. Now, I personally didn't go in out of personal conviction, but some of the people that were with us wanted to go in. And to go in, you had to take your shoes off. Because remember, Muslims, it's an Islamic site, Muslims view it as one of the three most holiest places in all the earth. And so you have to take your shoes off to go in. And so one of the preachers that was with me was going to go in, and here's what he said. He said, all right, everybody take your shoes off. He said, holy grounds about to go into a defiled place. You see, it wasn't that place it was holy because it was absence of the presence of God. But yet God lives in you and I. You're the holy of holies of a holy God if you're saved today. And therefore, wherever you go, guess what? It's holy. And so what God's saying to Israel is this. You're looking at it through your physical eyes. You're seeing something that just doesn't look good in your sight. He said, I'm looking at it as as a place in which my presence can dwell. And as my presence dwells, then I can be worshipped by my people, and I can be their God, and they can be my people, and I can be honored, and I can be exalted. And the world would say that my presence makes a difference. The realization in discouragement. You know, it's amazing, perception is a liar. A lot of times what we do is we live off of perception. Now you say, what do you mean by perception? Well, here's the reality. If you perceive something to be true, you convince yourself it is true, even if it's not true. But here's the reality. Revelation will always undo perception. And when we come to the place of making, allowing God to reveal to us really what it's about, here's the amazing thing. God begins to strip down our perception and we begin to walk in the revelation of God instead of the perception of our own mind. And when we walk in the perception of our own mind, we deceive ourselves. When we walk in the revelation of God, listen, we walk in truth. And Israel was perceiving. Why? Because their physical eyes were saying one thing. But they had forgot that it was God that made the temple of the temple. Liberty, listen. I don't know what we're going to look like when all this is said and done. I have no idea. My prayer is, my prayer would be that not only everybody would come back, but more than everybody would come back. That's my prayer. But reality says that may and possibly, probably won't happen. So I don't know what it's going to look like when we come back, but here's what I do know. Whatever God wants to do is going to be greater than what he's already done. And listen, this is every church in America. I'm not talking about just liberty. I'm talking about every church in America. Now, so let's go on. Let's look thirdly at the proclaimed theme of the message. So What was the theme of God's message? Well, if discouragement was the target, then what was the theme? Well, he had to give them a word that would help them in their discouragement. So what was the word? Notice what it says in verse 4. Yet be, now be what? Strong. There's the theme. Be strong. And then if you read on down, he says, and work. So be strong and work. Be strong and work. Who did he give it to? Leaders and the people. In other words, what does it say? Well, the leaders were starting to get discouraged and the people were starting to get discouraged. So he says, listen, be strong and work. That's the theme of the message. Now, he begins by this admonition admonition to be strong. Now listen, these are not just words that he threw out. These are words that would be very near and dear to Israel from their history. You say, what do you mean? What well, can I tell you? Would it surprise you? That Joshua, when, when he was going to lead the children in the promised land, three times in Joshua chapter 1, God said to Joshua, be strong. And would it surprise you if I told you that Solomon, when God told Solomon to build the first temple, which they're comparing themselves to, what did God tell Solomon? He said, be strong. Now you say, preacher, why does that matter? Because here's what it matters. God's telling this people, because they think this temple would not have any favor with God because of how it looks. And yet God is giving them the exact same admonition that he gave Solomon, knowing what Solomon's temple looked like and knowing what this temple was going to look like. In other words, God was telling the people, I am telling you what I told Solomon. You keep working. You keep working. You surrender and submit yourself to my word and my revelation, which was to build this house back. And you let me worry about everything else. You work. You obey. I'll bring out the results. But listen, you and I need to be reminded that you and I in ourselves are not strong. It's his presence that makes us strong. It's only the Lord that's your strength. So he tells them, be strong and work, but then he doesn't leave them hanging. In other words, listen, we have this, this idea today in the church that, listen, we can operate the church on our way of thinking and our, uh, what we can do. Oh, look what I can do. I got news for you. You and I can't do nothing when it comes to the things of God. Only God can do it. But we need to be strong in what way? We need to be strong in who he is. This is what Paul said, Finally, talking about the church, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What is he saying? Appropriate who he is by faith in your life. Let him be your strength. Let him be your guide. Let him be your everything. Let me tell you the best thing to remedy discouragement. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes back on him. Let me tell you something. Listen, best prayer you can pray, y'all ready? It's not asking God for anything. Now, listen, Bible says we're to come to him. Amen. We're to make our supplications made known unto Him. We're to cast all our cares upon. I'm not saying you don't pray and ask God, but there's what I'm telling you. There are times in your life where you don't need to ask God for anything. You just need to take an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, two days, whatever it is, and you just need to pray and say, God, I just want to thank you today that you're a strong tower in time of need. I want to thank you today. Your grace is sufficient. I want to thank you today. You are Elohim, the mighty, powerful, all creating God. I want to thank you today that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you've never changed. I want to thank you that you're holy. I want to thank you that you're my peace. I want to thank you you're my strength. Y'all want me to keep going or y'all, y'all hungry? You just need to get alone and praise him for who he is. So what was the assurance to the people in this admonition? How could they be strong and continue to work? Look at the bottom verse 4. I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now I want you to see what he didn't say. Now remember the people's mindset. God's not going to like this place. It's nothing like Solomon's. And that was God's standard. And we can't do it. We don't have the means and the, the ways to accomplish what Solomon accomplished. God's not going to like it. Well, if that was true, then here's what God would have said. Well, if you fix it, I will be with you. Is that what he said? He said, I what? Right here, right now. You say, wait a minute. Israel's perception of the presence of God was confined to a holy of holies on the throne of the mercy seat. He said, how, God, how how are you? Let me tell you something. God was with them, is with them, and never ceased to be with them. Here's what God's telling them. I knew what this temple was going to look like in relation to Solomon's when I commanded you to build it. So if I knew that and I wasn't going to have favor on it, why would I told you to do it? Listen. I've said this to y'all a million times. If you're saved today, you're the holy of holies of a holy God. So guess what? God does never forsake his children. When you get discouraged, think about that. Cause here's what the enemy will tell you. <laughs> McDonald, you you so discouraged yesterday. Because you thought you had that cabin wrapped up in a bag. And they backed out at the last minute. Here's what the enemy will tell you. Why in the world would you want to cry up at him if you acted like that yesterday? That's a lie. Amen. Amen. It's a lie. Let's bring this over on this side of Pentecost, can we? Zechariah gave a prophecy that we need to be much reminded of. And that prophecy was this. Not by my might or by my power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So what was their strength? His presence. So what can you and I do without his presence? Nothing. But what can you and I do in his presence? Everything that he calls us to do. A.W. Tozer made this statement years and years ago. I can't imagine what he'd say today. A.W. Tozer said, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, that many churches will continue to operate as they did before and not miss a thing. I believe A.W. Tozer was a wise man back then. Because we so learn to operate in our own humanity that we've forgotten the only hope we have is the strength of the Lord that comes through His presence by the Holy Spirit. Listen, I don't know what some of you are going through in your life. I have no idea. Some of you I do. Some of you I don't. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you're saved today, You have everything you need to not only walk through, but to be victorious in whatever you're going through in your life. You say, what do I have? Him. That's all you need. Him. Well, look fourthly and lastly this morning, the proving truth of the message. In other words, God says, all right, be strong, go back to work. Why? Because I am with you. I am your strength. And he says, now, let me remind you of why you're able to, to bank up on who I am as your strength. And he takes them back and lets them remember. He proves his faithful presence to them again. Notice verse 6. According to the word that I coveted with you, when you came out of Egypt. Now, what word is that? Well, God gave that covenant word to them on multiple occasions, but I, I want to read one specific occasion. It's found in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And it just so happens it was in a time of Moses' discouragement. You say, what was going on with Moses? Well, remember, God was fed up with the people because they wouldn't trust him. And Moses was to the place of wondering, you know, God, what, what's going to happen? Are you even going to go with us anymore? And so watch what happens in verse number 12. The Bible says, and, Mo, you know, the people were murmuring against Moses, and, and Moses was just, he was fed up. He, he was getting discouraged. And, and Moses said unto the Lord, seest thou, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Boy, wouldn't that discourage you? In other words, God's telling you to go, and and Moses is saying, God, who are you going to send with me? I mean, Moses didn't even know. Now watch what he says. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I've found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee and that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he and he said, my presence shall go with thee. I will give thee what? It's <laughs> got good. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up in. In other words, here's what, can I tell you? Moses is a smart dude. You say, what do you mean? Here's what Moses said. Well, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. You say, well, why would Moses say that? Because he understood the futility of it. In other words, what could Moses accomplish without God? Nothing. And so Moses said, listen, God, I'm glad glad you're going. I'm glad you've reassured us. But if you don't go, I'm not going. I want to tell you something. Liberty, listen. Everything we do ought to function under this, this truth, that if God don't initiate it, we don't do it. Because God will only provide where he guides. And God will only enable us in where he has governed and when he is initiated. And you and I need to understand that it don't matter how smart we think we are. If God didn't say it, we're not to do it. And listen, if we try to function off of common sense, we'll get ourselves in trouble every time. This may surprise some folks, but God doesn't work in the confines of common sense. I just made anyway. Y'all love, love me anyway. Y'all say amen. All right. Watch what he goes on to say. If it not verse sixteen. If it not that thou goest with us, shall we be separated, and I and thy people from the all the people that would be upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also, which thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So what did God promise? His faithful presence, the promise of God's faithfulness. This is what God's telling Israel here. He said, "Listen, I know you think this ain't, well, this ain't something that I'm pleased with, but I'm telling you, I am with you, and I will always be with you. I promise you, on the same basis I gave you the covenant when I brought you out of Israel or out of Egypt, I am with you." Now listen. If you're saved today, when God moved in, he'll never move out. You can bank on that. Now, watch the proof of God's faithfulness. He said, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt. So what does God do? He reminds them of what he did for them. What did he do for them? Can you imagine when he said this, their minds would go back and realize all that God had done? I mean, what did God do to get them out of Egypt? Oh, listen, God, God overturned the, the elements of this world in which he created, and he brought one plague upon another plague upon another plague upon another plague upon Egypt, and Pharaoh, who would not let the children of Israel go, he said, oh, listen, Moses, get them out of here. Get them out of here. I don't want any more of this. Get them out of here. And then, can you remember when they were up at the Red Sea? Pharaoh's army was coming against them. What'd God do? Oh, he removed against the elements of the world and parted the Red Sea. They went across on dry ground and God swallowed the taskmasters up in the waters. And when they got into the wilderness, what did God do? He proved His faithfulness to them over and over. Listen, even in their unbelief, He proved His faithfulness to them. He gave them manna by day. And listen, even though God wanted them to have the corn of the land of Canaan, God still provided in their disobedience. He gave them a, a cloud by day, a fire by night. The soles of their shoes never wore out. Hey, they come to the Jordan, what did God do? Hey, God held back the waters. They went across on dry ground. Every step of the way. What did they find? God, you proved your faithfulness to us. You've never left us. What's God have to do to prove it to you? Has he not done enough? Listen to me. If you're saved today, if God never does one more thing for you, He's done more than you and I deserve. Or could ever deserve. He's proven himself over and over and over again. So what's there to be discouraged about? Has God changed? Is the God that took care of Israel And bringing them out of Egypt into Canaan, the same God that lives in you and I that are saved today. So what's there to be discouraged about? Is he enough? Let me show you thirdly, the perseverance of God's faithfulness. I am with you. And he said, so my spirit remaineth among you. What does that mean? He perseveres. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, were they a beacon of obedience and faith? I mean, were they all in with God? Oh, not even close. They murmured, they complained. God provided for them in their disobedience with mamma, even, even though that wasn't God, what, what God had wanted for them, but yet they complained about that. We want some beef. They tried to kill Moses, or wanted to. They even said one time, would to God, God, did you take us back to Egypt? Let us go back under the taskmasters. They built a golden calf and began to bend the knee to it. So did God's presence leave them? He said, my spirit remaineth. You better be glad that God's faithfulness is not based upon your faithfulness or my faithfulness. Because if it was, we'd all be in trouble. Now, it doesn't mean that you can go out there and live unfaithful. Because I'll tell you what, because God's presence is with you, if you and I step out into unfaithfulness or unbelief, God will beat you to death. He'll treat you as a father teaches a son, and he'll discipline you. He'll correct you. He may even put you on, his, on your back if he has to. But can I tell you, that proves his faithfulness as much as anything else. That he loved love you that much. lastly, the peace in God's faithfulness. Therefore, with all that being said, what does he say? Luke verse 5. Fear ye what? Not. I never thought I'd see a day where people's lives as a whole in America and in the world would be completely governed by fear. But that's the day we live in. But let me ask you a question. If God's presence lives in us that are saved, and God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, what is there to fear? Do y'all believe that whatever happens to one of his children, God either has to allow or initiate? Do y'all believe God's sovereign over whatever happens to his children? Y'all do agree with that? Say amen. amen. Then what's there to fear? You say, well, what if he lets me get sick with something? God had a purpose. Maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe it was somebody else. But God had a purpose. Steve Smith's sitting here. Steve spent 18 years? 17 years in Senegal. Developed some unknown disease in Senegal that literally destroyed his immune system. Every scientist in America say if he got COVID, he's dead. Steve got COVID. Steve, was God enough for you? Carrie, was God enough for you? You say, well, preacher, what about those that didn't make it? If they were saved, God was enough for them. You say, preacher, I don't understand that. See, we look at death as negative. God looks at it as a positive. You say, preacher, what do you mean? The Bible says God takes joy in the death of his saints, Manley Beasley was laid in the hospital with seven deadly diseases at one time. Seven, not one. any one of them could have took him out. He had seven. Bertha Smith went into his room and was talking to Manley. This is the story I got from somebody that knew Manley well. And here's what Manley told Bertha Smith. God's got to use something to get me from here to there. Are y'all hearing me? Now, I'm not saying go and jump off of a bridge. That's not what I'm saying at all. But here's what I am saying. If I obey the laws of land, And something happens to me. Don't throw a pity party. Shout. Y'all say amen. Because God's in control. Now I pray nobody gets it. I really do. But if you're saved, God's enough. God's enough. So what's my help and discouragement? Remember what God's done. Remember who God is. Remember God's in control. And remember God's enough. And if you're saved, He is with you. And He'll never leave you. He's your provider. He's your protector. He's your promise. He's your life. He's your everything. Father, I thank you today for your word and your truth. I thank you for who you are, and I thank you that, Father, you're more than sufficient for all of us. Father, I know in our humanity, there's going to be moments in which we get discouraged. Father, it's, it's part of who we are. But Father, in those moments, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of who you are. Remind us of what you have done and what you're doing. Remind us that tribulation worketh patience. Remind us that you don't allow anything to happen to one of your children. Unless it's for our good and your glory. Remind us that you're faithful, even sometimes when we're faithless. Remind us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Remind us that your grace is sufficient. Remind us that you're a strong tower in time of need. Remind us that you're a heavenly Father. That if you provide for the sparrows, how much more will you provide for your children? Father, don't let us get discouraged. and Begin to walk in disobedience. But Father, let these times we live in Bring us to a fresh perspective of who you are and bring us to a deeper place of obedience because you showed us grace when we didn't deserve grace. Father, you're everything to us. So Father, you know every one of our hearts in here today. You know those that are sitting in here right now that are listening online. They're just so discouraged. They're stir-crazy. They're, they're just... They don't know what tomorrow's going to bring because they're, some of their kids are not in school and they don't know how they're going to homeschool when their kids can't go to school and having to work. and Father, there's a litmus of things going on that... We just don't have the time to deal with everyone. Father, let us be reminded you're sovereign over all these circumstances and your presence is our strength. So bring us to a place of a deeper faithfulness by your grace and your love. In Jesus' name. All God's children said,